everybody, and welcome back to The Game is Afoot. I am here again with Katie. She was our guest last episode where she played Frankie in a game of I Kissed Mothman Behind the Arby's. Katie, why don't you go ahead and reintroduce yourself with your pronouns and I believe your Twitch channel. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hi, my name is Katie, also known as Chaotic Katie on Twitch. Uh, I go by she, her pronouns. They is also amazing. Uh, if you want to find me on Twitch, I stream very sporadically at twitch.tv backslash chaotic KT. Uh, so C-H-A-O-T-I-C-K-T. <laughs> Perfect. Katie, I, I think I offered you a few different options uh, to play and you chose I Kiss Mothman Behind the Arby's. What drew you to that game? Uh, the name. <laughs> I mean, fair is a great name. Uh, TBH, uh, one, I love Arby's. Two, I think Mothman is a hilarious cryptid. It's one of my favorites. And the concept of the two, I knew nothing about the game. You literally explained it to me as we played. I had no idea what was happening. I came in completely <laughs> blind to this and I had a fantastic time. I created Frankie as I played her. Had no preconceived notions about what I was doing. It was fantastic. Frankie's fucking great. Uh, <laughs> before we started recording, all you really told me was she's from Jersey and she dresses like a combo from Fran Drescher and Golden Girls, and yeah. I was already sold. Yeah, like Blanche from the Golden Girls meets B. Arthur meets Fran Drescher. <laughs> so good. That's how she became the nanny. Oh. I had a really good childhood. <laughs> I, I did watch a bit of the nanny, but that was mostly like late night. I did enjoy Golden Girls growing up, which I don't think is a normal thing to say. Oh, I was absolutely in love with B. Arthur like most of my life and did not realize it. A hundred percent. I think B. Arthur was one of the most handsome women I've ever seen in my life. Fucking gorgeous. And the way she throws shade with a look is just... <laughs> Perfection. Perfection. Also, I love that D&D was originally created around the concept of like a party was supposed to be like the golden girls the golden girls was their like example of what a good party was supposed to be like and i'm like is that real because i thought that was apocryphal no literally uh literally the guy from DD was like no that's real <laughs> that's legit like the guy from wizards of the coast confirms that that story is true i love that so much right isn't it amazing? i love that so much unless of course i've been led astray to my understanding, that is what I read on Twitter. I mean, we can also just hold it in our hearts and go with it. Yeah, it can be headcanon. Yeah. Frankie, you didn't have, like, a lot of backstory for Frankie when we sat down to do this. No, I knew that I was going to do a Jersey Girl accent. That was as far as I got. <laughs> uh, so what was it like kind of, like, growing into Frankie throughout this hour that we played this game and kind of figuring out who she was? Um, I mean, I think it's the same as how I play any character because I always come, I make decisions about characters in a split second. I do this all the time, which is why 90% of when I play a role-playing game, my notes are like this new thing I've decided on doing for my character that is now suddenly canon. Mm. Uh, I do a lot of revisionist history uh, because of that, uh, where it's like, I thought I had a, a concept of what this thing should be. So, but 
now I've done something else in game, so now it needs to reflect it. And I keep meticulous notes, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's. I don't care about games where there's fighting. I I play games with fighting in them all the time, but I don't care about them as much as I care about the character story and the progression. So this for me was the most fun because I didn't have to care about rolling dice or, you know, doing any of the tiny little minutia things to make the story keep going because the story was just character stuff (laughs) and me talking out my ass, which is my, which is my wheelhouse. That's a hundred percent what I'm good at. So, you know, this was comfy for me. (laughs) I, it ended up being surprisingly comfy for me when I, play characters i usually have some bit of backstory and then i can go off and have fun but with i played moth or i played mothman behind the arby's (laughs) yes i played mothman behind the arby's i really ripped him off no um (laughs) with i kiss mothman behind the arby's it you don't have the opportunity to really come up with backstory it's go 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 yeah uh and that was really fun it wasn't something that i expected expected to be comfortable in for your episode and for august's episode i told mads my husband wife for listeners who might not know um yeah i'm gonna go do this recording session i have zero prep to do which sounds like a blessing but when i first did it with august my brain was like oh no you didn't do any prep you didn't do any prep this is gonna go real bad oh no oh no and it was great (laughs) yeah this this game just sets it up so it can be great yeah, Google exists, and it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, if you don't know how to say the name of the cryptid that you chose, just play a clip from Google and pretend you can say it the entire episode. It's fine. Yeah, we literally just walked around it like a giant mine hole. <laughs> mine hole? Mm. Yeah. Close enough. What is the word I'm looking for? Sinkhole. Sinkhole. There we go. I was trying to help you, and my brain went to Minecraft. I was like, that's not right either. <laughs> I was like, landmine. I was like, no, that's not it either. <laughs> Those are the terrible, horrible, scary things. Oh, I'm sorry if you can hear the crows, listener. I swear I'm not putting spooky things in the track. There are just crows outside. It's a mare there. They're super great. Um, I haven't convinced them that I'm a friend yet, but maybe one day. I love crows. They're my crows favorite. are so good. I had crow friends in washington and there's no crows here and i miss them they're so good to refocus again <laughs> we've really kind of set ourselves up for failure sticking to adhd yeah. people in a it's fine um shiny mm. how have you ever played a, a romance game like this before um i play dating sims on my twitch stream a lot so i played things similar to this Mm-hmm. Um, in as much as like I'm used to just random shit happening um, but specifically a romance themed RP game no I've never done that before yeah I hadn't either and um, August also suggested Coffee Shop AU which is another two person game and I'm just like mm. I'm gonna have to play that you should but like Mads and I will come up with romantic couples to RP because we're nerds and we tell stories and it's fun. And I I know you. Um, we met in we met in college. Yes, we did. We had Shakespeare class together. Oh God, Senior I love seminar. 
Uh, I love that professor so much. He was an excellent professor. He let me write a paper on Shakespeare and the cartoon Gargoyles. He let me write a pa- paper on Shakespeare and the anime Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I need to watch this. Yeah, no, the anime is terrible, but I got to write a paper <laughs> about it. And, and this dude is so nice. I, he remembered me all those years later and wrote me a letter of recommendation for grad school that was absolutely glowing. Had my old recommendation and then altered it for the new one. If anyone is considering going to a college in Washington State, go to Western Washington University and take at least one class with Mark Geisler because he's amazing. Also, he's now the head of the department. (gasps) Yeah, yeah. That's why he wasn't checking his email because it changed because he's the head of the department now. Yeah. Mark Geisler and Brian Stasekel were like my favorites and only one of those was actually in my field. Dr. Bulick was one of my favorites. And then I also liked... Um, Did not take that professor. Oh, I know I can't remember her name, but there was this other professor who was great. Um, I really liked her a lot, but I, I had like three classes with her too. And now her name skips my brain. But Bulick was hard. Bulick was hard, but I like hard professors. I like sticklers. See, I think there was only one professor I ever had that I just distinctly did not like. No, that's not true. There were two. But the one that always makes me mad. Ding dong, ding dong? No. She had a Hawaiian last name that I can't remember. Oh, okay. I was thinking of Mr. Ding dong. Yeah, no. It was a fiction writing class. And she was just like, write all of your things for the entirety of this course from the same characters or from the same location. And I got bored very fast. No, because I took creative writing, too, against my will, basically. Um, And I had a different professor. I had the other lady, and she was amazing. I mean, I I took multiple creative writing classes because that was the focus of my major. It was English creative writing. But just being strong-armed into writing these same characters or the same location over and over. That's so tedious. Yeah. And, I mean, sometimes I'll just do that because I want to, but being forced to is an entirely different thing. So it came time to write this final project, and I told her to her face, look, I'm bored of this. Can I write this dark fairy tale hybrid between Snow White and Pinocchio? And she said yes. And then she gave me a D on that project, which is the only D that I have ever gotten, ever, in my entire scholastic career in an English class. And she said it was too dark. What? I told you what I was going to do. That's BS. And you approved it. Yeah, that's BS. I hate when professors do crap like that. That's so, that shit is so, it's unprofessional. I was so mad. Like, yes, it was very dark. That was the point. Yeah. The and point also, was. T- has she never read a Grimm's fairy tale in her life? Well, that was why I was doing it because when we think of fairy tales, we think of the Disneyfied version. And I didn't want it to be happy, sunshiny. I wanted to go back to this idea that fairy tales are designed to scare children into behaving. That's what they are. Yeah. And so 
my Snow White was six years old, like she was in the original fairy tale, and my Pinocchio fell in love with her, and my Pinocchio skinned a boy to wear his skin to try to be the perfect boy for Snow White, and then she pushed him into a fire. What? Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) I'm still proud of that piece. Good combo. Thank you. That's really good. I remember when you did your presentation on the gargoyles um, in Shakespeare (sighs) class, and I was like, I really wanted to read your final paper, because I was like, I bet that's a good paper. (laughs) I can look for it and still see if I still have it somewhere. I still have my Romeo and Juliet paper. See, the question isn't really whether or not I still have it. It's whether or not it's still on my old computer, or if I managed to put it on this computer. Because switching hard com- copies of everything. <sighs> switching computers is, is such a pain in the butt. But the it's the worst. The hard I drive that I was using. Digital files. Keeping track Oof. of digital files is a nightmare. That's why I use Backblaze now because like I, it does it for me, and I don't have to think. I mean, I have a pretty decent system for my digital files. That's not really the problem. But when I was switching them over, I tried to put my master folder that had all the little folders in it onto the hard drive and then move that onto the new computer. And it was like, no. Oh, yeah. You have to move every single folder on its own. I was like. I hate this. I hate this. I don't have time for this. I, I, I don't. Me every time I have to set up a new Mac pro- computer because of something. Yep. Ah. Yep. That's that's what I have. I have a MacBook Air. Transferring stuff on Macs is a nightmare. It always is, and I hate it so much. It makes me uh, see, I don't know if it was necessarily that it, it was Mac to Mac, or if it was just the hard drive. Yeah, it's it's like Macs with external hard drives are just a, just. Oh. I don't know what it is. And They're I'm just rude. Huge, I'm a huge Mac lover. I use Macs for almost everything, but oh man, that stuff drives me butchery. So rude. <laughs> so rude. I had a thought, and then I lost it. It flew away like a little bird. <laughs> so we are both queer witches. That's yeah. what I was trying to come to. Yeah. Um, I did not figure out that I found spiritual fulfillment from witchcraft until I met Mads similar story yeah yeah that that's what i was gonna ask you is if or like how you figured that out about yourself um and well this brings me to my podcast that i did for grad school (laughs) um i have known friends of mine were witches for years i've known about witches i've always been drawn to witches and media and all kinds of stuff I was taking a class on folklore, and I was also taking at the same time a class on queer theory. And I had this super snazzy idea to uh, basically analyze the, the intersectionality between those two things. Because I started to notice that more and more often when I was seeing witches in my social media or witches um, in my real life or witches on TV or witches in books, I was starting to see how queer they really were. And I don't mean literally identifying queer. They could be cis, straight, whatever. It doesn't matter. But they're queered. And I was understanding it from a queer theory perspective. And I was like, ah, let's analyze this. But then let's also look at it from like literally the queer community perspective and see like, what about these two things makes them mesh so consistently and repetitively amongst people? Like, I just mm-hmm. wanted to know. Uh, and Mads was an excellent introduction to that. So I asked them if they would help me. And so I interviewed them. And it went well. And I 
wrote a paper and then that paper did really well. I got a hundred percent on it. <laughs> uh, and then I got that paper published and then I asked that professor from that folklore class to be my thesis person and then I wrote a whole thesis off of it and basically that was how I finished my master's degree was off of this one thing but in the process of talking to Mads for this thing and then in between finishing that paper talking to Mads in those interviews and writing the paper, I came to the conclusion that I'd been a witch basically my whole life without realizing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> so they definitely uh, were like, just telling me stuff. Mads was not trying to push me one way or the other. Mads was not like, no, that definitely sounds like you're a witch. Mads was just like, yeah, that's kind of similar to ways I felt. Or they would say things like, oh, yeah, Ryan has had a similar experience. <laughs> Okay, so I'm not just cuckoo banana making this up in my head. I actually was feeling these things. And so then I dive, dove deeper into it. And I was like, yes, I'm a witch. And my witchcraft is super different from yours and Mads. It's different from everybody else I know. But then I've just started to realize that everybody does their witchcraft differently. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it was recent. It's only been like maybe four years since I've been a witch. Maybe three. Yeah, um... When I figured it out, I I wasn't looking for anything. I was just like, I'm an atheist, and that's what I am. And okay, I I don't follow my parents' Christian faith anymore, and I'm just gonna kind of be out here in the waves, and it's fine. And I didn't really talk to anybody about it. But then one day, Matt's is just like, I'm gonna take you to the beach. I'm gonna take you to my favorite store. And we went to the Crystal Wizard, and I'm like, holy shit, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, and Matt's told me that story. I teared up because the, the way Mads told it is the way Mads tells story, and you've heard the way Mads tells stories. It's very, like, it's like they paint a picture for you in your head, right? And so oh, I yeah. got emotional listening to your story. I remember tearing up really, like, this is so cute. And there's, like, a recording of me, like, falling apart because I was like, ah. It, okay. Adorable. If we're talking about Mads being adorable, which tangentially is what we're doing. Yeah. Um, so the very first time I went in there, there was this pink, well, obviously pink, that's what rose quartz is, but there was this rose quartz elephant. And he's a feet, a cup, at least four inches tall. He's tall. And he's solid rose quartz, so obviously he was a few hundred dollars. And every time we would go in there together, I would see him, I would sigh, and I'd say, I love him, but I can't justify spending this much money on him, and we would leave again. And eventually Maz was just like, I'm putting an end to this and didn't tell me and set up this layaway program with the store, which they didn't even advertise. They called the store and was like, hey, can I do a layaway for this rose quartz elephant that you've had in your case for a few years? Amazing. And then just had it mailed to us and just gave it to me. I don't even remember if there was an occasion. I just was just. There's my elephant, elephant. There's my boy. Oh my god. Okay. Does the elephant have a name? I've never named the elephant. I do most often if when I'm thinking about how I want my altar arranged, I will put a little turtle on his back. Oh. Because there is a folklore idea that the world is a turtle on an elephant's back. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, that's based off the old school. Yeah. That's so cool. 
And he's a cute, tiny little turtle. So it's this tiny little turtle and this big ass rose quartz elephant. That's adorable. I have a um, a white quartz elephant, and we've had it in our family like my whole life. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he's much smaller than what you describe, a couple inches tall. But uh, yeah, I have him in my room. Actually, his trunk is like a little bit chipped because I played with him when I was a child. Oh, I love I that. I was so drawn to him. I like would not stop playing with him. I so. love that so much. I also did the thing where children have like an obsessive need to have rocks and crystals i had like a huge rock collection as a kid i didn't realize that it was because i liked the way they felt in my hands because i could feel the energy Mm -hmm. like it's all these tiny things that you're like oh right (laughs) yeah yeah i get it okay i was doing this forever ago or the fact that i used to put the rocks in a certain alignment because it felt good like the alignment was right right it had the right flow energies yeah all the it would flow together and i'd be like no you can't put the purple rock next to the orange rock because they don't like each other you know yeah yep yep that thing i did that thing as a child (laughs) yeah i i also tried to collect rocks but then my parents would make me put them back oh gosh no, my dad used to take me to, like, the Seattle Science Center, and we would go to the geology section, and he would get me rocks. And then every time we flew, he would buy – because that was back in the day when, like, the airports had rocks in, like, the um, gift shops and stuff. And so he'd always get me a rock. It was just one of those weird things. I, got, I don't like, know. They're <laughs> They're homey. They are. Well, and almost all of my magic is done through crystals. I don't do much else. Um I primarily do crystal work. I'm an energy person. I used to carry a little bag of crystals around with me. I don't really do that anymore because when I did do that, I would pull out a specific crystal whenever I felt like I needed it. And then people would be like, oh, what you got there? And then want to touch my crystals. And get all their energies on it. And then it would take like two and a half weeks to get them clean again. Oh, gosh. Why does it take your crystals that long to get clear? I... I don't know if it's really that the crystals take that long or if it's that I'm being anal about it. I'm going to go with number two. (laughs) Very likely. But Um, if it feels icky to you, you should do it. Yeah, but I don't really carry those around anymore because of that. Um, But I do have this little fetch that I got at Fairy Worlds. Um, I named him Ferdinand. And he is a cat skull. With this little plush body and a foxtail. Like a real cat skull and a real foxtail. Oh yeah, you showed me a picture of that. Yeah, so sometimes I will give him a little offering and say, hey, I need you to do this thing for me. And that's like primarily how I do my work now. Oh, very cool. Yeah, he's my I little buddy. sometimes do spells. Rare. It's a rarity. Yeah. Uh, in my experience, when I do spell work, it tends to invite things to come check on me. <laughs> Mm, I don't want that. <laughs> I haven't really noticed that as much in my own craft. But then again, the things that I would do, they were always, um, the the thing I want to say is self-centered, but that has such a negative connotation. But they didn't often involve other people. Yeah. I tend to cast spells for myself or specifically people close to me, so there's a personal investment in it. Mm-hmm. 
Otherwise, my spells don't tend to do anything. Yeah. yeah. I've tried doing just, like, the generics, but if I don't care about it, I don't put enough energy behind it, and it just goes nowhere, you know? Yeah. Those things. But, um... Do you find that your witchcraft is, like, really linked to your sexuality? Uh, no. Not for me. Mm. But uh, not a lot is linked to my sexuality. (laughs) (laughs) I I wouldn't... I I struggle with... I'm a bi woman, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm bi in the old school definition of bi of, like, same sex and other very Mm -hmm. open i'm technically what would be considered pan by most modern standards except for i have a personal issue with the terminology Mm. and purse for myself i don't care what other people do you use words that make you happy and feel good in your brain space um i just don't like it for me it sounds weird to me i like bi bi feels cozy but i also Mm -hmm. like queer and i use that the most um but I think I'm also demi-romantic and maybe demisexual and all kinds of stuff. And I, I, I get very much in my own head and I don't really like people until I know them mm-hmm. and I can trust them. And until that happens, I don't really think about people in a or think about anything in a sexual manner. Just like it's that part of me and the other part of me are two separate like brains in my head. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I definitely, I definitely don't feel demisexual because if you're hot, I can just be like, oh, you're hot. And I can imagine jumping that and be very happy with that scenario. But I think I am demi-romantic, which is not something that I've really talked about or considered about myself because I'm, I'm married, like. I'm not exactly. Sorry? You're a married lady. (laughs) I'm a married lady. I'm not exactly going out and, like, trying to find those kinds of relationships. Although I was working with someone for a while that I developed a crush on, and I was just like, I can't tell you this. (laughs) I can't tell you this. And it sucks because you're so friggin' cute. But, and Mads and I have talked, too, about how, like, if either of us ended up being interested in someone else, that that's okay, as long as we keep the other person apprised. So I think we're, like, polyamorous light. Oh, oh, I understand. Okay. Like, L-I-T-E light. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. But, yeah. I was actually about to ask you, like, is that a, something that you talk about with your spouse? Because we have had conversations about it. It's not something that's ever come to fruition. Gotcha. Mads has expressed interest in someone and that other person was like, I think we're better off as friends. So nothing really came of it. But I, I just. Growing up, you don't see examples of that. Right. Right. And growing up, I didn't see examples of any queer people. So these are things I didn't have to think about until I was older. And Mads and I, Mads, like, kind of offhandedly said something about having a crush on someone. I was like, oh, yeah, you could go for that. And they were like, wait, what? (laughs) And I was like, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. And that's kind of that. Yeah, I... 
I have no problem with polyamory. Um, it's one of those things that it's like, I cannot wrap my personal brain around it, but I understand it for other people. I have poly friends. I mean, you know some of my poly friends, and then I have other poly friends <laughs> who you've never met. Um, and it seems totally normal for them. I just, my brain balks at the idea of having to care about more than one person other than myself. Mm-hmm. Because I am so all up in this thing, and it's a it's a it's a rat trap up here. <laughs> <laughs> Cthulhu ain't got nothing on my brain space. <laughs> um, it, it's wild up in this joint. So you know, I do my best, and I I'm also a hyper independent person. So the idea of more than one person having any kind of designs on my time is a nightmare to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, I have no problem with it, but like, I I get exhausted thinking about it. Yeah. No, I can. I get that. I can see that. I'm tired just listening to you describe this. Oh my god. <laughs> and also, this makes me sound so selfish, and it's true. I am. I'm a hyper selfish person, but it's not in a bad way. It's you know, in a self preservation way. This is why I hesitated to use the word self centered and. And selfish has the same kind of thing. There's a really negative connotation around it, and there shouldn't be. It's self-serving, and self-serving should be a positive thing. It should be a, you're supposed to do things for yourself as well as for others. We're fucking hedonists is what's going on. We're hedonists. We should not be giving ourselves, you know, to others before we give to ourselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the whole concept of, like, you know, moms, put the fucking mask on your face before you put it on your child. Because if you die in the interim, who is that helping? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm i very much selfish. Um, and I am proud of that in my older age. <laughs> Putting myself first is always something that I've kind of had to learn. It's not something that I grew up thinking about. Um, yes. And I've always thought that that was because I was raised a girl. I mean, Yeah. I, and I, I do agree with you. And then I think of my sister, who is the polar opposite of me in, of, in some ways of like that. Like, then again, no, that's not true. Some people just get indoctrinated better than others, I think. Some people are more willing to allow themselves, I think, to be like swayed. I think my sister just knows how to put up with less shit. everybody i just wanted to jump in and apologize for the delay in episodes in the end i am more sorry that you have had to wait than i am sorry that i am behind in editing because i am really really trying to focus on self-care and what that means for me and how a great deal of self-care to me is being gentler on myself when I don't make these preconceived deadlines that I intend to. Uh, Not that you needed a big explanation, but there it is. I am going to do my best to slam out two episodes while I'm editing today. We'll see if it happens. And if it does, I should be able to get ourselves back on schedule. Other than that, I am going to let you jump in to an ad for another wonderful podcast on our network. You know that I love every single person on our network, and I, I could not be more grateful that I found it.
So, wow, I'm getting teary during the ads. That's um, mighty professional. Anyway, uh, enjoy the ad and I'll get you right back into the show. Thanks. Bye. Welcome to the world of Super Idols RPG, where superpowers exist, but only among those with dreams of pop star fame and glory. Anyone who believes in that dream can be a super idol, be they an awkward gothic lolita. Yeah, Valerie has her phone out. Uh, her phone screen's not on. Her <laughs> oh, phone no. looks closely. A recovering mean girl. Just to establish for no weird reason at all, but you all do go to this school, right? <laughs> <laughs> An excitable fanboy. Can, can you, I'm, I'm really shy, but can you ask him if they could sign my jumper? Wait, hold on. Oh no, I transformed. Can I have the autograph? A literal queen bee. Sorry to kill your buzz, honey, but you just have to get used to the sting of disappointment. Or a mischievous rapper. Lucia makes more clones of herself so she can have a huddle. Aww. <laughs> Join the members of Rhythmics as they reach for the stars in the second exciting arc of Super Idols RPG. A queer, diverse, narrative-focused masks campaign with elements of high school comedy, magical girl anime, showbiz drama, and superhero action. New episodes release every three weeks on Sundays. Check out superidolsrpg.wordpress.com for more details. cis woman in our society there's a great deal of patience expected of us like and I didn't have it early on in my life I learned it working with children <laughs> in another country where I didn't speak the language I did this you know later in life at like 22 to 26 I didn't have any patience for people I was so <laughs> short with everybody <laughs> have you ever seen this is a total well it's not a non sequitur it is related but have you ever seen Big Mouth. No, but I've seen clips. I know a lot about Big Mouth. Okay. Um, but it's um, not my, like, style of adult comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And honestly, I, I don't love the animation style, but I put up with it because I think the show is good. Mm -hmm. um, but talking about this made me think of the home, home, the homo monstrous. I can't fucking talk. The <laughs> hormone monstrous. Yes. Yes. I know about her. Yeah. So um, I don't remember if it's in season one or season two, but either way, it was a ways back. Jessie is having her bat mitzvah and she's wearing this really boxy dress. And the hormone monstrous has this whole monologue about yes, you're going to walk down there and read the thing you're supposed to read because that's what women do. We smile through all the bullshit wearing our boxy-ass dresses. <laughs> and it's so true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I I live in this... I don't know if this is something you experience. Especially, um, you know... I'm sure your relationship with gender and everything is different than mine is because everyone's relationship is different. Uh, but you've also watched other people in your life experience gender in a mm -hmm. very, you know, in a progressive way. 
Um, I feel like a woman when they say woman. But if anybody would compare me to a woman from, like, the Lucille Ball days, I would be beating their ass. Mm-hmm. Like, my version of woman and the version of woman that, like, it was from so... Uh, they're different to me. And it... I sometimes get uncomfortable with calling myself a woman because those are the images that pop in my head. Not that I don't fucking love Lucille Ball because queen. Um, yeah. But what she represented as that, like, 1940s housewife, you know, that shit, I just, I can't, I can't do it. There's a difference between loving Lucille Ball and loving the expectations of Lucille Ball. Right. Or, or the fact that he used to spank her when she overspent money. Or the fact that he would, like, yell at her for spending money. Or any mm. of the things that used to happen back in the day. Like, who gives their wife an allowance? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> yeah. I don't... I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I've never... I've never questioned my gender... It's just been there. And I, I know that that's kind of the case for a lot of cisgender people. You just don't question it. And I've thought about, hey, should I sit down and kind of have this conversation with myself? And then the next sentence out of my brain, I guess, is, no, you're fine. It's fine. But the expectations and the stereotypes around womanhood are not fine. Yeah. The expectations and standards are what genuinely bother me. And I think that's what makes me struggle with all of it is the things that I think are being like forced on me. Because this is also my thing with religion. Organized religion has always, I struggled with that really early. I left Christianity super early in my life. I was like maybe nine years old. And I tried to go back at one point, and it still didn't give me what they kept promising they, me they were going to give me. And I left again, and I was like, look. And that was me just trying it out. Just mm-hmm. trying for the sake of, like, this is what my family does, you know? And I was like, you know, I'm older now. Maybe I can do this. No, it was still exactly what it was when I was nine years old, and it still didn't give me what I wanted or what I needed, and it was still bullshit to me. And I was like, I don't trust any of you people to give me a straight answer, and I feel... Like, that's how I feel about gender, is I don't trust anybody to treat me the way I know that I should be because of what they're perceiving me to be. Mm -hmm. And that just irks me in ways I can't even explain. Like, I get really mad. (laughs) I rage against the machine a lot. (laughs) Now I'm sitting here wondering if that's part of why I keep doing crazy shit with my hair. Absolutely, 100%. That's why I do it. I like to fuck with people. I live in the middle of, like, Mormon Idaho. Like, and it's incredibly conservative here. And I have purple hair. Because fuck your normalcy. I don't care. My mullet is really starting to come in. Um, It looks fantastic. Oh, thank you. I've got the sides shaved. So it's not like a traditional 70s, 80s mullet. It's a modern mullet. Yeah, it's, it's modern. It's going more punky but like I've done a lot of things with my hair I mean you also shaved your head right yeah that that was exactly what I was going to come to like I can't say that my growing out this mullet is the most extreme thing that I've done with my hair because I full on shaved my head during the pandemic as many of us did 
I shaved the back of my head. I gave myself an undercut. We're still growing that out, fam. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that takes a long ass time. Um, it really does. When I was in college, I shaved one side of my head and got these like stars shaved into that part. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That was. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I loved that hair. Yeah. And when I went to get it, it was so cool because I went to a barber shop. Nice. Well, that's the only place that you're going to find that will do those designs in your hair, right? Yeah, totally. It, and this was a black barber shop, and I'm a white woman. Right. So it was a completely different scenario for me than I'd ever been in. But everyone was super nice. Not that I expected otherwise, but, like, I was definitely the other walking into this space. Yeah, and that can be scary. It, it wasn't even that. It was, like... I'd be nervous that I would do something stupid. To be fair, I didn't know it was a black barbershop when I booked the appointment. (laughs) (laughs) So then I show up and it's very clearly a black barbershop. But everybody was chill with me. And I think what's... This is not even where I was going. But hey, hi, I have ADHD. (laughs) (laughs) I think what struck me so much about that experience is that everyone was instantly chill. We were all comfortable and joking around. And if that scenario had been reversed, it might have been very different. And and it's just like all of these little things that affect how we walk through life that, that don't have to mean anything. And it's just so bizarre that they're all weighted so heavily. And I'm not making sense, but I'm just going to ramble anyway. I don't know. I get what you mean, though. It's that weird, like, it's the tiniest things that you're like, oh, that could have been completely, this could have ruined it. You know? It it could have completely changed your understanding or experience or whatever, or, like, shifted you back in a different direction. And it's always, I always worry about that sometimes. I don't know if that's a thing that anybody else worries about. (laughs) Like, like, if I had got in there and the mood had shifted and become bad, I would have felt like shit. Yeah. I, I would have felt like absolute shit. And I, I think the reason this whole interaction sticks in my head so much is that that shift to a negative mood, unfortunately, is much more likely to happen to a black or brown person walking into a predominantly white 100%. salon or barbershop or whatever yeah totally and this room of black men quite honestly i think much bigger than me black men if i'm remembering correctly just laughed at me and said that the salons that told me they would make me sign a contract to shave my long hair were stupid yeah it was i don't know i don't know why i'm like so focused on this right now but i think they're trying to well, it's that whole thing about, like, autonomy, you know? Like, how dare they make you sign a contract for you to make a decision about your autonomy? Like, if you want it and you're asking for it, you're giving your consent for this thing to happen. And they're basically saying it's ridiculous that they're making you question your own autonomy. Yeah. I think. You know, because I feel like for them, their autonomy is constantly being questioned. So they probably know exactly what that feels like. Maybe. I don't know. 
I I loved that place though. They were all so cool. I don't think I ever went back because after that I started growing my hair back out. Oh yeah. Busy Bees Barbershop and Salon. Busy Bees Barbershop and Salon. Nice. Yep, it's on Elm Street in Bellingham. They were awesome. Loved them. Don't know why I'm focusing so long on this, but it was great. And give them props, I guess. I don't I don't know. I'm rambling. I think my body is getting tired in preparation for going to sub tomorrow. Oh, really? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I... Don't get me wrong. I love subbing. It's... It's very tiring, though, because they're not your kids. You're not used to them. It's not that. It. I think it's more that I'm just not used to full-time, and this technically isn't full-time because the kids are still on hybrid, so there's no Wednesday school. Mm. I mean... Full-time teachers are still doing planning and stuff on Wednesday, but I don't have anything to do on Wednesday. Gotcha. But it's still close to double the hours that I was doing before. Yeah, that adjustment is brutal. Yeah, it's it's been rough. I remember going from no job to working a full-time job, and I was like, I want to die every day. I'm so tired. And I was in another country. That was fun. Yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> Well, I was working part-time at the library, and then I took a leave of absence to do my student teaching. And that was, like, the full week, but 90% of it was at home, so I could roll out of bed. And now it's hybrid, and I have to get up earlier to get ready and make my lunch and get there on time yeah. <laughs> and then come home. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot of extra effort, and it's tiring. Yeah, I hate actually going to work now. I'm now at the point where I just want to be remote 100%. I mean, I'm really looking forward to when schools can safely let kids back in. But that doesn't mean I'm not tired. I'm fucking tired. (laughs) I'm going to have to cut out so much of this. That's okay. So we were talking, what were we talking about? I completely lost track of where we were. Uh, we were talking about womanhood. Um, oh, yeah, womanhood. Okay. We might have rung that a little dry, though. We did. Especially since I got distracted talking about busy bees for no reason. <laughs> I don't know what you normally interview people about for this. I don't either, to be quite honest with you. Okay, so there's no, like, set format? Not yet. I mean, you're the fourth person I've done this with, and... The first two were Mads and Zoe. Okay. And when I did the interview with Zoe, I ended up crying with her because she takes care of a rescue dog that I definitely would have taken back if I was in her position. So, like... Oh. Oh, yeah. I full-on cried on that episode. (laughs) Getting cats has been the best thing for my life. Well, Zoe's dog, Holden, like, was sweet to us in the shelter, but... In retrospect, that's because he was scared and nervous and there was a thousand people in this tiny ass room with him. Oh, poor Bean. And then when he moved in with us and figured out, okay, Zoe is my person, he got really aggressive towards the rest of us. Oh, interesting. Um, And part of that is just that he has fucking anxiety, like literally all of us. <laughs> oh, poor baby. Yeah, but she's done a lot of work with him and she's gotten a trainer to work with him as well and like again i'm distracted but whatever 
Um, <laughs> when I was growing up, a dog like that would be put down. That's just how it was. So yeah. I was talking with Zoe and we talked about Holden because I, I want to show people how great people are. That's why I do this. And I can't think of a single example of something I've ever seen anyone do that shows how willing to help someone is. I can't think of a single thing. So, I cried. Yeah. I mean, I get really emotional about animal stuff. I I will cry more for animal things than I will for, like, stuff happening to people because I feel like... I can compartmentalize the human horror horror stuff in my brain, but, like, any kind of animal suffering just sends me to a dark place. I mean, yeah, but I think it was less that and more just, like, no one else saw the good in this dog because he had been taken back to the shelter multiple times. And Zoe refused to give up on him. Good for Zoe. Yeah, that's just who she is. She doesn't give up on people until they give up on themselves. And her working with Holden just shows that. And, yeah, that's why I cried. I cried. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, I think, oh, he is actually a sweetheart. He does not do well with strangers, but he still recognizes Mads in me. And we haven't lived in that house for a few years now. So the fact that he's still like, oh, you are my friends is so sweet. I love that. He's a good boy. Um, I think, I think I'm going to ask you the only formatted question that I have in this entire thing. Okay. If you were to give advice to a queer person trying to get into tabletop games, what would it be? My advice is, I think you need to know what you want out of a game. There's a lot of different kinds of tabletop games and there's a lot of different kinds of players out there. If you want to be a dungeon crawler and you want to smash stuff and fight a lot, find a table that does that. If you don't want to do a bunch of role play, then don't do it. Don't force yourself to do stuff you don't like to do. Because one, you're going to take away the fun from the people who do want that. And two, you're making yourself miserable. And three, you're making it harder on the DM to manage these different expectations of the table. So be honest about what you want out of a game. Don't be like, yeah, 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 that sounds great. That sounds great. And then whine because it's not being played the way you like it or being offended because it's being played a way that you don't like it or various other things and my other point of advice is to always set strong boundaries you need to know like tabletop games can go weird and dark places if they need to there's a lot of games that are horror based and a lot of horror is related to body horror or realistic horror in real life And so if there are going to be things that are going to hurt you or bother you, you need to be really upfront so that your one, your DM doesn't do that. And two, you need a way to be like, you basically need a safe word so that like you can be like, hey, you are pushing up on a boundary and you need to back off so that, you know, they don't push that boundary too far. I've seen a lot of tabletop games fall apart because people weren't communicating and weren't honest. And I've seen a lot of players get really upset with the games and blame the game or the the game master or something because their expectations weren't being met or they felt like the game went in a way that they weren't comfortable with or, you know, something even smaller, like, Oh, I just didn't like this other character that they were a jerk. Like, okay, some characters are jerks. They're allowed to play a jerky character. (laughs) That's going to bother you. Don't play that kind of game. Um, 
I it really does come down to just communicate, 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 and then like find the game and the format that works for you. If you have anxiety talking to people in real life, play online games. You don't have to be in person. Be online. You know, I really like that your advice for tabletop roleplay games is basically also good advice for a relationship because that's what <laughs> tabletop role-playing games are it's yeah. a ongoing relationship where you make fantasy and fiction with people exactly and i i am of this and this probably stems from my belief about the universe i believe the universe is a tapestry and that we're all building it together and we're all creating our parts of the tapestry and so if I take that metaphor and that belief system and I apply it to relationships or whatever, you have to be looking out for when the other person drops their stitch or whatever. Uh, and like either fill that stitch or make note of that drop stitch and then be like, we're going to go back and talk about that drop stitch or fix it together. Or I'm going to leave you alone to drop your stitches for the rest of whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like I and I, I kind of view it the same way as when you're you're building a D&D game or you're building a tabletop game and you're building characters and you're building story. There's going to be scenarios where you sew over each other or you drop stitches or someone snags your line or whatever, you know, what have you. There's going to be situations like that. You just need to know how to like mitigate it or fix the error or move on and make something new out of what was a mistake but could be something special. I think that's a really good place to leave off at. Katie, thank you for joining me for this adventure. Do you want to plug your Twitch or anything else one more time before we go? Uh, sure. Uh, well, thank you for having me. It was super fun. Um, and it was really nice to just chatter endlessly. Uh, if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv backslash chaotic KT. You'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of nonsense, and if you liked my um, my Frankie from tonight, you can see me play another D&D game sometimes every other Sundays. Uh, we're on a mini hiatus, but we'll be back soon. And also, I play dating sim games where I do voices very poorly. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All right, folks, that's it for our show. Thank you again to Katie for coming on for a wonderful interview. I was originally going to cut a great deal of this, and I ended up not doing that because, because Katie and I had a conversation that was just so real to us that I didn't want to edit it down. Um, and I know that we talked about some racial issues, mostly me, mostly ineloquently, and as a cisgender white woman, I am not the most qualified voice for those kinds of things. Uh, this month is Black History Month, so please make sure that you are also paying attention to uh, people of color who are creating content in the tabletop role-playing universe. And other than that, I want to thank Zoe Hovland for our theme music. And I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful Valentine's Day. Or friend and times palentines palentines was what i was trying to think of okay bye
be gay. Roll dice. An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network.